Hello and welcome to another episode of Six Before Breakfast, the podcast of the ICD for those who make a living by being creative and talented or manage and coach those who do. Visit us online at our LinkedIn and Facebook channels, join our community of interest to see, hear more from like-minded people and meet some friends you do not know yet. My name is Anthony Eldridge-Rogers and today I'm talking to artist, photographer and creativity teacher Michael Eldridge. Michael has had a long and varied life working as a painter and a photographer and providing inspiration to some of the UK's best-known photographers emerging from the heyday of Bournemouth College of Art in the late 1980s to the late 90s, such as Nick Knight, Wolfgang Tillmans, Steve Champion, Colin Nichols, Steve Orino, Jackie Tune and many, many others. Michael's creative life spans a massive change in the way that visual artists can express themselves and deliver their creative ideas to their audiences and clients. In our conversation, we explore topics such as the way a creative life can develop, how important mentors are and do we find them or they find us, the importance of being open and aware to what creativity is and making your own mind up about it. We touch on ethics in the creative industries for individual creatives and other topics. So now let's meet Michael Eldridge. Welcome, everybody. This is Six Before Breakfast, and today I'm talking to Michael Eldridge, who is, full disclosure, my father-in-law. I thought we ought to get that into the conversation up front. But he's a man who I've known independently, as it were, of being my father-in-law, as a wonderful creative, uh, a fascinating human being. And today we're going to root around in Michael's life and his creativity career, if I can call it that, to find out what he has learned, what insights he's bringing to the world, and to explore a little bit about why Michael is a bit of what I call a creativity contrarian. So <laughs> Michael's raising his eyebrows here. Welcome, Michael. How are you doing? Very good, thank you for inviting me. Good, well, thanks very much for, for being here. You were an easy guest to get on the podcast. So why don't you kick off, where would you like to start in telling us about your journey as a creative? I think um, with a loving uncle who every week would get me to draw and get me to understand the power of image and in a way that school never did. Um, and my first drawings, my sketchbooks that I still have, really were his influence. And um, although it meant nothing to me at the time, latterly I see that uh, these were the roots of my beginning to make images which were like beyond myself, into a different world. And I can remember being completely um, longing for his weekly visit, and the absorption that he took me into, because I was going to a grammar school at the time and I hated it and it was rational about Latin and physics and science, whatever, which I did um, dutifully. What sort, of, what sort of age were you? I would have been 12-ish, that sort of age, you know. And um, I think... Luckily, I went to school before I had to go to this grammar school where the art teacher was crazy. He had a beautiful workshop and he ran parallel to the influence of um, that school, I would guess. And I was moved from the school that I loved and I became detached. And without the link that he gave me, I think I would have lost that contact. 
because I had to do all the logical, rational things at a boys' grammar school, which is very strict. And I think that's where I began to dislike all rational things, all taught things. There, there was also a crazy art teacher who saw that I was a bit odd, and he gave me a place in his classroom to escape to. We had to do military training every week, can you believe, and put uniforms on and do rifle practice, and he would rescue me, and he hit, hit me in a corner. And people began to realize, even teachers began to back off a bit. And I realized they were giving, some teachers were giving me special attention. I, I didn't think I was particularly odd. Um, but I was drawn towards that strangeness, that differentness. This one art teacher in this new school, you could ask him anything about Shakespeare. He knew every Shakespeare play verbatim. You could say Henry VIII, first year of play, number three, play three or whatever it is, you know. Uh, Horatio speech or whatever, he would just come out with it. I thought this guy is incredible. So, my, your, your paint, uh, what I've got at the moment is, is this picture of this young 12 up boy who, would it be correct to say that you were not being catered for at the school in terms of who you were as a creative person? Is that what you're describing? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, was that difficult for you? Was yeah, that it was a actually. lonely, difficult yeah, I didn't like it at all. I, um, I mean, I only went to that school because I got 100% in my French in the other school and 90%, 5% in literature. You know, I was too bright and they had to put me into these and I did I had no choice I was thrust up there I know kids nowadays would say I don't want to do that I want to stay here but I, in those days you just were obedient you did stuff and that I think began the conflict between my rational mind my intelligent rational mind and this other part this other world that I knew was there and luckily I was able to keep that alive in my imagination I was thought I was a dreamer I can remember the headmaster in the school pointing at me across all the heads of all the kids saying, Eldridge, do you think you're superior? And I think I said, yes. And it really infuriated him. But I wasn't doing anything. I was just standing there, you know. And I think people sort of recognized some sort of dream world around me. I just thought I was normal. <laughs> <laughs> and I was normal, I am normal, and I think normal people are abnormal. And I, so what I'm trying to say is that there was this other world that I knew was there that I wanted to keep intact. And then I bounced through um, school and I got out. Of, I had to leave school at 16 because my father wouldn't allow me to go to university to do a level, he wouldn't let me. So that's when I escaped. When I was 18, I walked past New Zealand House in the, in the mall, and there was a thing in the window saying, immigrants needed, are you over 18, free passage. So I, I went in there, signed a form, and in three weeks I got a ticket in the post, and I left, and I went to New Zealand, and we sailed all the way through, and met this Brahmin in Sri Lanka who talked to me for four days about something else, this other world. He really was. He was identifying all the things as almost as if I had a luggage, a bag full of stuff, and he opened it, you know. And, he, and I, when I got to Auckland, I went through all the possible books I could on philosophy, on Indian philosophy, on Zen, on Tao religion. And this world almost through him was waiting for me. 
And that was incredible. Um, it was almost as if I was destined to walk past the mall on that day, part you know, to get a ticket and get a, to meet this guy who set up stuff that I, you know, was what I knew, but no one else was talking about. And as soon as I got to New Zealand, I just declared myself to be a painter. I just started painting. I started doing portraiture. Was it? Was that a big moment? Did that feel like you'd found? Yeah, it felt. It felt as if I'd slipped into something. Slippers that were waiting for me, warm outside the bed, you know, bedroom door, sort of thing. And I began then to do portraiture in a, in a almost as if I was in a coma. I would paint people, and I would like see the aura around them, and I would just paint, and they were just amazed. Just amazed. And I didn't really know the level of the work that I was doing. Um, I, I had no real... There weren't people around me who talked about the painting. It was just a very private thing. And I thought, I've got it, and it's mine. Um, and then um, I think I think we lived, I lived four years in New Zealand, and I met all sorts of art people during that time. Another guy who adopted me used to be a London creative director and he moved to New Zealand he adopted me too and he used to show me stuff and so I always had someone almost like mentors waiting for me special people like you know if I was mystical I would believe that these people were planted in my life to pick me up at very right. time and, and you're, you're painting uh, you're telling a story here because I'm hearing that with the it was your uncle, and then we had the art teacher, and then we had the yes, Brahmin. Yes. Now, now, so so is that important? Do you think? I mean, for, I mean, that's your story, but does everybody need? I'm a not sure about that. I had to give a lecture in July to this massive watercolor society up in Fabriano, like you know, hundreds of people. There. I don't know what I was letting myself into. And I got some friends, I didn't know what they wanted, so I got some art friends to come and ask me questions. And I kicked off. And someone said, you know, what, what, who were the influences in your life? And I began to list them. And I got to about 20 in my head, you know, and, and what they did and how they... And someone said, well, how did you find these people? And I, I said, they found me. These people found me, and they were like scratching their heads, you know, and that sort of thing. I didn't; it just came out of my mouth as I spoke it, as, as I realised it, and realised it as I spoke it. And I've believed that now. I believe that there's people planted in my. I think. Well, I think everyone's like that. I don't think any. Yeah, I just think. But I, I realise that it's not true. Or, or is it that people don't notice? necessarily ah that's a good question because i i know and we'll, we'll co probably come on to it just a little bit later that there's a lot for you to say about awareness and consciousness and so on mm. so what well, you know, but just to keep us painting the picture of your life so you're a you're a young man you're in new zealand and you're painting in a coma yeah and um at what point do you start teaching and why Good question. I think I've always been a teacher. I've always wanted to wake people up. Um, I, I, I just slipped into it. I, I never really thought that I was going to be a teacher until I got an art teaching job after being an art car. Oh, I must say that um, 
I lived in South Africa after New Zealand, and after, uh, after South Africa, I went back to London because I didn't think I could be an artist because I hadn't been to art college. And that was a waste of time, three years of waste of time. That, that, that's sort of quite an accepted idea still, isn't it? That you can't really be oh, an gosh, artist yes, or creative unless you've would, sort of been stamped by an institution. I would recommend people not, not to go to art college now, quite frankly. Would you? Okay, Absolutely. well, that's a, we'll okay, definitely okay. take a dive I'm into sorry, that later on. Sorry, I've offended anybody. <laughs> but, uh, no, well, it's, 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 it's a very interesting debate, but we're, we're going to have that okay. in, in shortly. But so, so you slipped into being a teacher. Mm. Um, New Zealand, South Africa, you're back in London to mm. go to art college. Mm. Uh, what happens in art college? Nothing. I only learned, I stayed on there because I wanted to learn. I had this instinct that I was going to be a painter, half-time teacher, half-time, and the two would overlap. I thought, I'm going to hang on here and just register all the things that are not working here. People are not being stimulated. People are not being challenged. People are not being taken on adventures. People are not given mystery. People are not taught that it, to get, it's wonderful to get lost, uh, to trip up. You know, and, and you're being told things. These, these, you know, we've been told things which are nonsense. So I became a nuisance there. I got mixed up with student, you know, I don't know, revolutions, you know, 68 sort of thing. You know, I was a revolutionary... <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a time. I was just so bored with it all, really. But I learned that you have to take people on an adventure with you. You have to get on your hands and knees with them and then scrabble around and have an adventure with them, not dictate what art can be, because <clears throat> all art is uh, autobiographical. You have to teach the person to find something in themselves that sends them on a voyage, you know, not to be told, given directions. And, and, and that's also, though that period of time, late 60s, 70s, I mean, it was an incredibly changing and vibrant time creatively, wasn't it? In, 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 not oh, just across yes. painting, but, yes, you know, there was a lot yes, of conceptual yes, painting yes, changes, yes, yes. wasn't there? There was the white canvases, or there, was the, there was all sorts of, of, of people pushing the edges in that time. That is interesting. That is interesting too, um, because I then went to California. I got a Fulbright scholarship to work in California, and then I met another person waiting for me, <coughs> Jack Fulton, you buy Hey, Jack, and he just changed my life completely. He turned my life again upside down, absolutely. I was talking to him yesterday, for God's sake. We've been into, he was my best, best man at my wedding. He's been my mate, you know, for like 50 years, or you know, 40 years. He just changed my life completely because he took me into another world of shamanism, North America, Indian culture. He was the blood brother of an Indian chief, and we were allowed. All these things were waiting for me. You see, they were waiting for me. These shamans, these these shamans, who, you know, also changed my life. Picked me up, shook me up, turned me around. As if, as if they were planted, you know, this to me is natural. And I know if I talk about it, people sort of walk out of the room, you know, this guy's nuts, you know. What, now? You mean? Yeah, and this, this big Fabriano thing, I was telling you, people were like getting really angry. And, and the, <laughs> when I was saying this, and, uh, and someone asked me about school, you know, teaching art in school, that sort of thing. Don't you think you should um, 
this is in Italy, uh, that you think uh, people should have um, <coughs> tuition in maths and English, Italian first, grammar, <coughs> the sciences. And when they've done that, they can do creativity. I said, what are you talking about? You know, creative, creativity is where it starts. This is what it's all about. All the rest is peripheral. These people started walking out. <laughs> Yeah, because we're teachers. We know how we've got to be strict with people and, you know, get them grades and all that sort of thing. I was saying, this is nonsense. And then someone started talking about marketing. Well, Mark, I said, don't talk to me about marketing. It's the most terrible thing you could ever imagine. What are you talking about, you know? Sounding like an old hippie. Is that the, is that the accusation that gets oh thrown at God. you these days? I got a haircut. <laughs> um, no, I was never a hippie. Tell the truth. I was never a hippie. Because they bored me. They, they, they were, uh, you know, they were alternative. They weren't alternative at all. They were a tribe following the tribal rules. You know, they well, were just people again. Yeah, yeah and that, that's a good that's a good point because the theme that I'm hearing, and I've always heard you talk about, you're always pointing to independence of thought, aren't you? You're always pointing to this idea that, uh, and I know we share an interest in in Krishnamurti, um, and of course, Krishnamurti is always encouraging us not to have gurus and not to have so how do you i want to know michael this is a question how do you how do you match together the apparent contradiction of saying that mentors are crucial for you and yet at the same time you advocate for in people to go their own way creatively through mentors see things inside people that they perhaps don't see themselves we intuit it Okay, it sounds vain, but I read people. I just do. I just do. I can talk to people for five seconds, and I read them, and I can't help it. I just. Do. It's because I'm half gypsy, you know that. Maybe you don't know that. No, I I do know that. Okay, so all that gypsy heritage was fed through to my life too. All the uncles and the cousins, uh, and they were. I didn't realize it. You know, they were gypsy, and I'm half gypsy now. So there's that part of me which is reads people. I can give you an example. My sister, who's more gypsy than I am, Hazel, I don't know if you know her, she was a supply teacher in Battersea. And I don't know if you know that in Battersea, 150 years ago, 10,000 gypsies were allocated on territory on the south of the river because they, they wanted to put them all together like, you know, sort of... You know, like almost like concentration camps because they were robbers and thieves and they wanted to control them. Anyway, my sister, this is like uh, maybe eight years ago, she was teaching at a school in Battersea <clears throat> and she was getting the kids to jump up and down as Hazel would, you know. And this one little girl said, Oh, look, take your jewelry off, children, because you're going to cut yourself if you fall. And this little girl came up to see my, then he says, I must ne never take my bracelet on, miss. And Hazel said, so, so, so you must. She said, well, that's fine. But this woman came in the next morning to see her, uh, uh, this mother, and she said, uh, I just wanted to speak to you because I I know you're Bill Eldridge's daughter, aren't you? She said, what? She said, I know you. I recognize you. Bill Eldridge is my father, our father. You know, she, she read, she recognized, and she said, and Hazel was astonished. You're one of the Eldridge's, you know, the gypsy, the Eldridge's. So we were able, and I, I have this, this ability to read people, and I can't help it, you know. I, I, if I'm stuck on the London, London tube, I don't want to read anybody, but I read people who fascinate me. 
Yeah. I can read them and I can read people that I, I don't want to go anywhere near. I can read people that I just want to rejoice to be in the in the in the in the energy field sort of thing. And all these things I think come from the gypsy part of me. That must have been really useful for you to Yes, it is so true. I, I still do it. So so by by now you you are you're you're married, you have two children at this point. We're sort of in your late twenties, are we? Yeah. Yeah. You're painting, you're teaching. Yeah. How is the teaching going? What do you because you know at the beginning you say you're sort of pointing this idea of the deficiencies of school and now you're a teacher inside the institutions that you aren't that impressed by so what how, how are you getting through i i hear people say things they come to me and say michael we don't know what you do we don't know how you teach us we just don't I have no idea you're just like around you know and you don't stop us you don't encourage us you don't say anything about but things happen to us and I, I i know i don't know what i do maybe i'm just lazy i don't know i don't know i just don't know but i never say do this do that correct this is the wrong color it's the wrong shape and I, I take people i get on my hands and knees with them as i said earlier and i do things with them you know and someone was asking me yesterday and these dutch friends that i have this lady but I, how do I teach children? And I said, well, this is what you do. You don't start teaching them to paint and to draw pictures of mummy and daddy and the dog and trees and that sort of thing. You just have some spaces around where they have little bits of paper and, you, and they're all sort of waiting for, to be taught. But you just ignore them completely. You just start doing stuff yourself. Stop making a shape, making it, and and bit by bit they come round. They're curious, you know. And you say, "Oh, I'm, I'm busy," and they say, well, "Well, can we do that?" I said, "Well, I don't know, really. Mm. Let me just finish it." And, <laughs> and bit by bit, so like, come on, can we just like use that red? And so, well, well, you can use it. In, you know, within ten minutes, they're all painting. You know, and you don't have to say you have to imagine this or you have to do that. They just start painting with the color. And the thing is, of course, the paintings teach us when we paint. We, the painting telling us what to do. We're not telling it what to do. And that takes me on to the next evolution that you're probably going to ask me about. Where? Well, I'm going. I'm just going to pick up back on my my question earlier. What are you? Are you? Is Michael? clearly focused around creativity at this point are you still thinking of yourself as a painter who's teaching painting what because and i want to get on to bournemouth in a minute because i think that's that's a key moment in your life isn't it oh yeah as, yeah. A, as a as a creative and as a teacher yeah, yeah yeah but are you thinking about creativity as a sort of concept at this point no not at all not yet when does that happen not at all only when i'm asked to be explicit about what on earth i do I say I don't teach painting or poetry or sculpture or whatever, uh, filmmaking, whatever, whatever. I just say, for want of a better world, I, word, I would say that we have creativity in us, every single person. And it's my duty, um, really, I feel it my responsibility to draw that creativity out of people in whatever form it is. So people say to me, oh, you're teaching creativity. I go, oh, no, 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 I'm not. Okay. You're, but I'm just... So what, what are you doing? If you're I'm not teaching, out, what, what's... You're I'm drawing, drawing out the innate creativity that your human beings have um, inside them. And I know that 
a lot of, in fact, most. Um, I can give you an example if you will. Yeah. Um, I had to do a, a workshop in Bristol a few years back. <coughs> Photography, it just happens. I don't differentiate between any uh, creative medium. The one guy who was planted there was the president of the Royal Photographic Society. You know, like, come in there to bring me down. So you're there with a the big cheese. Absolutely, yeah. you know, with yeah. his fantastic cameras, long lenses and that sort of thing. And he was scoffing, oh, scoffing all the way through. And I sent them out on a, on a, on a, on, a, on a mission, not not to hunt for photographic images, but wait until something talked to you, talked to them. It could be a fish in a fish market. It could be a carrot, you know. Wait until that happens. If it doesn't happen, come back. I don't care. And he, and he looked really cross and he went off. And he was waiting for me at the top of the stairs of the studio in, in, in Bristol somewhere, waiting to go for me, you know. I, I could feel it. And I said to him, what, what, what age were you when you were told that it was a waste of time to play in your life? Were you seven? And he looked at me and he burst into tears. He burst into tears and he sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I don't know how I got that. I don't know how I read that. But this is an example of just reading someone. And I just, these words came into me. And after that, he was just like putty in my hands. I don't want to say that because I don't, I don't mean that. But he was a friend of mine and we're in contact. And it, I know his life changed. And I see his work going up all over the place. Because of that, this is what I mean about a meeting. You know, it wasn't me; it was something coming through me, something that he abandoned at that time. But it wasn't me wanting to endeavour to do that to him. It was something which uh, happened in that space, in that time, and it all came out. You know, and um, this is—I don't know—this is the magic thing about. This creativity, where people who are creative have a bond, have a bond, and it's a beautiful other. Uh, it's like an alternative universe, if you will, and we want to share it with others. We want to help these poor people who are rattling around looking for answers and trying to be successful and, you know, to, to be winners, to be leaders. If I hear the word leader again, I'm going to go crazy. You know, leadership everywhere, and that's nonsense. It isn't like that at all. It's completely wrong. <laughs> so, uh, I, I suppose, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the word leadership it, it carries a lot of baggage. I think of you uh, as an inspirer. That that's when people say, you know, if they ask to describe you, I say, well, Michael's an inspirer, and I think that's what I've heard you sort of saying. I wouldn't say it myself. No, but but I think you do bring this feeling that things are possible that that perhaps other pe people don't consider you know it's possible to rediscover something that's blocking you it's possible to rediscover yeah and a, i don't know creative. what it is that I, so I spot it it is true and i get a feeling for it you know yes well you know this last weekend i i had that this meeting with a, a young person that i knew i knew what to do I knew what to do, and I don't know where that comes from, Ant. I, don't, I really don't know. Except so can we jump, because I, I, in in my vain hope to get us into a 20-minute okay. um, story, we haven't managed it, but we, we'll get there. Well, let's jump to Bournemouth, because the story of Bournemouth and your relationship there with, with the university, mm. college, college or university? It's university yes, now. Yes, university yeah. now, as we call it, college yeah. then. So Bournemouth College was was actually quite, 
uh, in in quite a crucial period, wasn't it, when you got there? Tell us about what happened when you started teaching there and how things changed. Yeah, Tony Maestri was my teacher when I was a student um, in Loughborough, um, and I got bored of painting. I boring but the photography school was really interesting the photographers shared stuff they messed around they, you know they, they experimented and I went to this teacher said look can I kind of switch over he said fuck off and I said excuse me he said fuck and I went two or three times he just fuck and I went again I'm not gonna this guy's really fascinating and I went he said what's your name I said Michael he said okay sign this you're in he became my best mate, and then I discovered him again in Bournemouth. I had to be visiting one day. I was teaching in another college. I wanted to see what was going on. There he was, Tony Maestri. He and another guy who changed my life. Now, we went to America together. We went to Mexico together. And then the job came up in England. I was living there. He was just visiting America, and he, he said, the job's come up, Mark. Do you want to, do you want to apply for it? And so I, I want to stay in California. And then, yeah, come on, we can do stuff, we can do stuff. So I flew back, and I had an interview and got the job in the college. You know, I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, you know. <laughs> and I was suntan, you know, I was completely, and I had color photography they hadn't seen before because it was right at the end of the black and white era. And I suddenly got the first color show in the photographer's gallery, you know, and they thought, wow, they're really incredible. And I, I didn't really know that too much about photography, to tell the truth. Anyway, it turned out that the lecturers were all, the good lecturers in the photographic school were all painters. Tudgate, the, 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 the principal of Bournemouth College, was, was a painter. They were all artists, for God's sake. But the other half were for technicians, the rational types. And there was a war going on between us so-called hippies, you know, and this, you know, straight bunch of people. And we won in the end. They all retired. And that's uh, when I met uh, Krishnamurti when I first started there. You know, Tony took me to meet this guy called Krishnamurti, another man waiting, you know, there he was changed my life it really did i can tell you the story quickly well just just yeah, I know, I well know. let's circle back to krishnamurti yeah. um, but just tell me so you start teaching at bournemouth college yes yes and you're teaching photography yes no 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 i didn't well i was teaching creativity if you will. ah so yes that's what i thought i was playing games they call it mike's day games day uh yeah i used to take students out and play games with them, blindfold them. So how did you manage to convince the college that you're going to teach creativity? I mean, because typically in educational, you know, institutions... Oh, you've, it was really... Uh, it was, they, they left us alone. Mm -hmm. We were a bunch of wackos. You know, we just did weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, they, 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 they just left us alone. Can't do that now. I got out because it became rationalized, became formulated. I got out because of that. Okay, but it was just fun, just fun. And we wrote the course on Krishnamurti's teaching. So let's go to Krishnamurti quickly. So, so what would you say are the key things that Krishnamurti inspired in you? Quite simple. I went to the well, the first seminar ever at Brook, Brockwood Park. I went to with Tony. Um, there was, must have been 500 people, even more. It was a huge marquee. You couldn't believe how big it was. And he was standing, just sitting there on this podium. 
And there were people around me, Buddhists and Hare Krishna people and Zen, whatever, and they were all chatting. Have you been to that um, seminar in uh, Lucknow? Have you been to this place in Toyota in Japan? Have you seen this girl? And they all this talking, all that stuff. What's going on here? And he didn't do anything. I'm just watching him. I'm just watching him. This guy, this beautiful guy, and he doesn't say anything, doesn't lift his finger, but there was silence. Just like that, it's in a microsecond silence. And he said, is anybody listening to the beauty of the wind in the trees and the pine trees above the, the beauty of that sound? I thought, got it. I thought, got it. There's no other time. Only time we ever live is, is the present. All the rest is the past and the future, and they're illusions. And I realized I could connect that essence of presence into my photographic adventures with students. So everything Tony and I did was about telling people to be fully in the presence because that's where a space happens. You're using all your senses and a space occurs where all the chattering monkey chatter of thoughts passing through your head give you a space and you go into the space as children do, when they get on their hands and knees and play and paint, they go into a different world. And as adults, we can do the same thing. And this is what I teach now. And he did that. Just by saying that, I thought, my God, this is incredible. And we wrote a, a course. We had an official state course, but state inspectors came down to see what we do. We didn't, and we ignored that completely. And you just shoot. sort of pull that out when yeah, you came yeah, for yeah, inspection. Yeah, so they were impressed yeah. and they all went back, you know, yeah. to re report on us. And they thought we, we, was, we were called the Zen School of Photography. We'd never called ourselves that, but the other people called us that. And it attracted lots of students who were a bit different. So we were lucky in that we could almost, we could select the students, the type of students that we wanted. And, uh, and he, he was another figure in my life who changed my life. So, so that then influenced the whole generation. I was there for fifteen years, for goodness' sake. Generation. And you had some. You, you. I think you had quite a lot of influence over what became some quite famous photographers over the years. I think yeah, like absolutely. Nike, for instance. And, absolutely. And so on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're all these students. They're all my friends still. You know, I hear hear about all of them, and they've all done very well. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's all come together then, hasn't it, at Bournemouth, in the sense, with Krishnamurti and... And would you say that, if we think of your life episodically, would we sort of say, would you say, that once you were into Bournemouth, you've met Krishnamurti, and you, you, that's when you really, finally, it all came together? I think so. Oh, no, I would never say that, because I was scared to say that. I think, um, I still think in my latter years that life is, I'm still curious and life is still evolving. I'm learning new things every day. And that's another thing I want to impart to people. When people think they've got there or they're trying to get there, well, go away. Yeah, no, get, the get, sort of no get, destination. I mean, the beauty of being in here with you today in this beautiful wood, to see that wonderful tree outside, I mean, for goodness sake, that's a gift. So if, if, I, if I impart anything, it's just to wake up. And Christian Bertie is about waking up. Because when you're in the day, for the day, of the day, life 
emerges. Everything emerges. People come to you, things arrive, and you don't do marketing or you don't publicity, all that nonsense. It'll come to you. People will come to you. And um, and they have. So we're gonna. What we're gonna do is wrap up now um, on this first section, and we're going to come back in a minute, and we'll take a deeper dive into some of the things you've mm. you've you've touched on. For the listener who's got to log off now um, and go and, and do something else, uh, can you just share three things that you think quickly you would say to somebody who's thinking about themselves as a creative person who perhaps is struggling a bit is perhaps feels they're a little bit lost you know in in the world i'm a creative person in some way but you know i don't know what to do next sort of thing what, what would be three things that you might say, to say i'm not sure about saying i can only think of this last workshop i did in in in, in, in the mountains here Italy. I'm, not, I'm in england now sorry and um there was this one girl i knew who was a trained architect and designer and she was working and i could see her she was just like okay if you're a if you start painting and you start with a, an empty white sheet, you know, it's the scariest thing in the world. And I just picked her up and I turned her around and I just hugged her. And she started crying, 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 sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. What I was doing was <clears throat> taking her back into her life somewhere where someone said, get on with it, whatever your name is, you know, and I wanted you to make a mark. You know, she did not want that, you know, to allow her to, just to be... Just by hugging, I could feel her shaking, you know. And I didn't know why I did that. I don't usually do things like that, but I felt it was necessary. She's now painting, you know. She's now writing poetry now. She's helping me to teach. This is all in one year. She transformed, transformed completely. So it's not so much is what I what I say. It's what I intuit, and I and what I somehow turn people around almost physically. To actually feel something that they're—I know they're feeling, but their rational mind is stopping. Again, people turn themselves around. Do you think? I mean, not everybody can come on one of your workshops. So, so how how do people find that for themselves? Can they do it themselves? No, not really. I think you need a help. I think because I've had you know helping hands all my life. People picking me up and moving me on. I felt privileged, and I think. The only thing of difference is that I've always been expecting someone to come along and help me and and not thinking it's all going to come from me. And they do, they appear. And I think um, just to tell people to... Um, I do tell people sometimes to um, go and see, meet interesting people, or male, female, writers, poets, whatever, sculptors, filmmakers, whatever. Find out who's really interesting in your because you'll find they're really nice people. Right. So, really so could could we say that your first tip might be don't be on your own. You know, find find oh, people yeah, to to be with who you feel comfortable with, exactly. Or share exactly, similar. exactly. And we were talking about this morning. You know, this feeling when someone is negative and they suck. You know, keep away from people like that. When you feel people have a, like a, a, an air, an aura of abundance around, they're interesting people. Talk to them, even if they are famous. Go and find them. Say, can I talk to you for a day? They will say yes. You know, 
And then once you start um, believing in that, feeling confident about it, people will start coming to you. And what I do teach, you know, I teach Qigong, Tai Chi, and I teach people um, to, to expand this aura around themselves. And I say, look, be prepared. The people will be attracted to you, and they want to come and take some of your energy. If you feel that they're sucking energy, walk away from them. But if they feel they want to be part of that field of abundance, welcome them in. So a lot of it is this gypsy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> gypsy. Okay. So second piece of advice for somebody in their creative journey, what would you say is important? So community is important, connecting with people. I think discover the planet, I would say. Discover the planet. Go around everywhere you can on the planet. Just talk to travel. different cultures. Travel and listen to what people have to say. You know, learn so much from the Maoris and from uh, in Africa from the African people. Um, yeah, there was a time in Africa where I didn't see a white man. I think I told you for a whole year, and I, and I got in touch with Zulu people, and they gave me a Zulu name, and they took me into a different world again, influenced my life. I, I learned more about kindness and empathy. Um, so different cultures, I think, as many and in, and in North American Indians too, into their culture, you know, fantastic. You know, we are we are we are we're miles behind them. In our evolution, we've slipped back. So, travel. Travel. And the third tip? A third tip, um, patience, I think. Um, don't push, don't, don't fret, don't, don't hurry, uh, consider. Um, I'm current, currently going through a phase in Italy this whole, last month. My car broke down for a month, I couldn't have it. So I just went through all my paintings. And I, and I taught myself something. You know, I, I, I saw how I evolved. Uh, I took some paintings and started working on them again. That took, so I slowed down, really, and, and went through my studio, looking at, looking at the stuff and hanging it up and thinking, ah, okay, okay, you deserve that, going back. So really be patient. You know, consider what you've done and let time work on, on it. No, don't think I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be this. This is going to be correct. It's going to be finished. No, 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 no. I found that when I've just been really easy and just follow a slower pace, um, and the, Zulu, the Zulus gave me a name. They called me Unyonyaba. Unyonyaba. And, they, and I said, and then in the end, they, they wouldn't tell me what it was. Mm. And in the end, I said, look, come on. They said, it means snail. <laughs> Because you're slow. Because <laughs> you're slow. Yeah, so I'm going back to that yeah. slowness again. And I think um, to consider not to hurry, you know, to actually follow your rhythms because you all have a rhythm and follow it. Whatever you make, whatever you create, be patient with it and let it speak to you. Okay? Don't try to speak to it because that's all ego, that's all nonsense. Look at what you're doing and listen to what you're doing and, and, and read what you've done. Listen to what you've done. Look at what you've done. Let it talk to you. Because paintings contain messages. And when someone really loves one of your paintings, they're buying something which, you know. I, have a, I heard last week from a Swedish person I used to work with. She bought a painting of mine 15 years ago and she's moving. And she said, I've got your painting. It's the most important thing in my life. It's changed my life. I keep on looking, and every time I look at it, it has a different message from me, for me, and that's what I want. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I want. Very beautiful. It's nothing more than that. Nothing more okay. than that. Okay. You know, all the money stuff, all that stuff is 
just nonsense. Yeah. Okay, Mike. Thanks so much. Uh, we are, for those of you who are leaving us uh, now, because you've got to get on with whatever you're doing in your day, uh, you can find information about Michael in the show notes uh, below. Um, for those of you who've got some time to hang on in with us, we're going to jump back into a couple of topics that we've slightly glossed over, you might say, Michael. So let's Can I say thank that. you? You can now, if you like, <laughs> say thank you again at, at the end no, no, as well. No, 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 but no. for now, that that's great. Okay, Michael, we're going to, to take a bit of a deeper dive. And I think what we ought to do first is ask that question, which is, what do you actually mean when you use the word creativity? Because... One of the things that I've noticed in my conversations with you know, creative people and creative industry, not everyone's on the same page. Uh, a lot of people have different understandings of what creativity is. What is your take on creativity? What does it actually mean? Firstly, I would love to abolish the word completely. Um, I see it's flung everywhere. Um, every, every single uh, product, every single company, uh, mission statement, every single desire that every single company has is to bring creativity. No, they don't, they don't know what creativity is. They have no idea what creativity is. And, and this is actually, you know, I, I said that I'd coined this phrase for you, the, a creative contrarian, because I know that you you are quite, you're quite vocal, aren't you, in pushing back against the sort of use of the word just because people can without it being... Is that because it's devaluing the word, do you think? Or what? what is the problem with everybody using the word? I had to do a workshop in uh, Arizona, of all places, with this company of 500 people. I was brought in to do creativity with them, and I just played around. They were really angry with me. But the people who did the workshop with me, not the managers, so they were, like, looking and grunting and, you know angry um and um but the people i work with they love it and there was all these people were fundraisers for this organization and it was all rote they had to learn and they were trained and they were like uh, jehovah's witnesses sorry if any of you are jehovah's witnesses but they they have a, uh, a doctrine that they have to you know uh, adhere to Anyway, right at the end, these, a lot of these people like broke down. These people were working there. They said, I did a workshop with Michael. I decided to, to leave, uh, retire, leave this company. <laughs> sort of leave their jobs. And- <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trained as an artist. I want to go back. I want to be an artist. So I made a real mess, you know. I, I was never asked back again. But I touched a few hearts. And I used to tell people, don't just do what you're told to do. Listen. Yeah, how you I say you're fundraising, think of a way of doing it which is different. Anyway, so, because what else sort of you know, what is your life gonna be if you just just live by rote and repetition and someone else's orders? Almost like a military situation. I I'd be I'd be a disaster if I had to teach creativity to the military, for example. <laughs> Turn the gun upside down. <laughs> or yeah. put it down your trouser leg or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I don't like the work yeah. at all, the, work, the no. word at all. All right, but, okay, but, but I'm, I'm going to just push you a little bit here because what, what I'm hearing you sort of pointing to is 
what I what I personally think is is what creativity is, which is this idea of giving, finding, discovering, giving birth to something, something new, some new configuration in the world. Is that would that be accurate? Is that what creativity is? The, 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 no, I think it know? is. But that's why these businesses are using this as a buzzword. Giving their managers a creativity weekend. Okay, we did the creativity last weekend. Let's do sort of something else next weekend. They've done it, so they go. That's not true at all. You know, if you're really going to turn their company upside down, be innovative, you have to turn everybody's minds upside down and look into a different way of getting into something which is deeper, more profound than you ever believe. But it's a way of life, isn't it? Is that what you're saying? It's yes. it's it's the ground on which you stand, as opposed to being sure, something which you. Sure, sure. What so, I'm saying is industry and and and, and um, I don't know a society which is just about um, consumption and making and consuming. It's not a creative society. It's making people into automatons. It's making people robotized, and. Uh, it's happening now. We're going back into a need for a closer contact with humanity, human values. Now we've got to start asking ourselves, what, what are these values? And one of the values, of course, is that we are creative creatures. We want to create beyond ourselves. They want to evolve creatively. Now, that might mean that we're going to have to dismantle a lot of what our society calls civilization, because it's quite the contrary. We're almost like we're almost like um, electronic um, primitives in a way. You know, we're, we're we think we're so sophisticated and so so clever that we've actually lost very, very intrinsic things about human. I was talking to someone a couple of days ago whose fascination was uh, um, cave art going back, and we were talking about that. However, everywhere on the planet, I've seen it in Africa, in California, in India, wherever, these primitive drawings were almost identical. Animals that were beautifully, beautifully, how did they do that, you know? Human beings, which are like stick creatures, almost insignificant. But the stories were these people were painting about their life, their lives. They were hunters, and they had an affinity with nature and animals, and they were telling stories about their days, and they were mystified about the very essence of being human. Now we've become detached from that, and I think there's this need to go back to, to the primitive instincts of humanity. Not to say we have to get rid, you know, leave behind all the wonders that we've we've created. But I see now, and I was talking about it with an art friend the other day, that, that since the COVID thing and, and just as this war is going on, there's a proliferation of workshops going on everywhere. Everywhere there were ten times as many as there were you know, five, five years ago, and everybody's seeking for this very, very essence, this something essence. You know, and it could be tantra, it could be Zen, it could be shamanism, all that sort of stuff. They're attracted to this thing, creative workshops. It's something, and maybe they're they're experimenting again, they're collecting all these essences again to reconsider what they are. But something's bubbling out there. Do you think there's a problem with this need? that is human beings seem to have t 
to to find something to fix themselves with. And I, I I'm I'm mindful because we've talked before about Krishnamurti. Uh, in a way, Krishnamurti wasn't a very successful in what he did because he refused to take the low-hanging fruit true. of success, didn't he? he you know, he, he was... He he said you shouldn't follow anybody. There yeah. is, there, you know, as soon as you put someone on a pedestal as a guru, yeah. you've missed the point. Because uh-huh. his message was really the answer is within you. You've got to find it yourself. That is true. And do you think there's a danger that we that we still, as a species, don't naturally go inside ourselves to find? Uh, our truth that we still want to go to that workshop and go to that you know we we want to pull a label onto ourselves do you think that do you think we're moving past that do you see any do you think that's a big problem it is i think i'm puzzled by it and i'm working on it continuously and i I had a webinar last week with this group and they were saying michael we're coming over in september well what are you going to do, do for us this summer. I said something stupid. Like, I don't know. I, I think of something in the morning. And then, and I don't know. No, no, I don't mean that. You know, uh, that's, that's not I, what you're <laughs> supposed to say, by the way, to your workshop attendees. You're supposed yeah. to say, "Oh, I'll give it lots of thought for three months." But I had. I said, "Okay, yeah. can they push me?" I said, mm. "Okay, I, I'm doing a lot of stuff with the I Ching at the moment mm. because I've never understood it before fully. Um, I just read the instructions and the front pages and I followed that but I it's suddenly it's become something else and the I Ching you might know is a, is a, the book of changes that was written 6,000 years ago and so forth I was saying look I put that together with the fact that I know that the brain accumulates all that knowledge for the day and it it with dreams and all sorts of stuff it spends you know the whole of the sleeping night reconfiguring and throwing stuff up at you which you come out as aha moments during the day you think you have this it's not one of these stupid thoughts that pass like trains through the head i'm not talking about that that's 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 not thinking thinking is where you really go deep consider and listen to what your brain has stored and get influenced by that's thinking okay so what happens is that i started doing an I Ching, I Ching before I go to bed, you know? And I don't really, um, I just absorb it. I don't follow the instructions, like being, a, you know, a little fox uh, swimming across the river and not getting its towel wet. I just absorb the whole essence of it, and the brain works on it. And I thought, God, how have I never understood that before? So then I read, and I do know that Jung spent the last ten of his li- ten years of his life being absorbed into the Yichu, following the I Ching, you know, and he must have got into quite deep things with it. And it's beginning to happen to me too. So the next workshop I'm going to do with these people, I've developed it over like eight, eight years with this particular group, is to try working with the Yi Ching to see how it somehow influences, gets deep inside us. And comes out in a way, not through thinking and analysing, but almost like, you know, these aha, these inspirational flashes we get. We know when they, when they are, we know what they are too. My God, that's right. And we don't know where it's come from, but it's come from this thing, this configuration. And I'm feeding the I Ching into this experience. So that's quite fascinating. 
because what comes out of it somehow is this desire to create beyond yourself. It happens. It just comes out. I've seen it. It's happening. It's taking people into this space where creativity just, just happens like a gift. For that to happen, though, I mean, people need to take that journey into themselves. I mean, I'm thinking that you know, it's a bit like going to the doctor. They want to. They want to go to the doctor. They want to be diagnosed. They want to be fixed. Yeah. And that's not what you're. You're very far away from that in in your work and what you're talking about now. Somehow, I attract people to what I'm doing uh, by the word of mouth, word of mouth of others. They say, "Come along to this thing." I don't go. Uh, you know, I have some people help, help people help me to do graphics and publicity because you've got to. You know, if you're making shoes, you, you don't you don't go you making a, a thousand shop. shoes and you don't mm. sell them for God's sake. So I tell people what I'm doing, but I have people who more readily are able to um, to really talk about what I'm doing better than I can myself. I think if they got a friend, you know, a lot of people, the groups that I that emerge that I work with are people who've come through word of mouth from whatever source but people who who I've met who talk to others and they come along um, because I can I don't know I, you know if you just write about what you're doing you, you know like a book sort of thing somehow words are not really as potent uh, as, as a physical reality of being with people to pass almost like a virus on to someone else who then spreads it to someone else. Krishnamurti was all about talking, you know, and people saying, you must come along here. Um, if you read the books, they're not as inspiring as his presence. Um, and I think that's the same. I think the energy of presence and the real understanding of our inner system of working, our ideas, if you will, I don't like the word ideas either, by the way, but the stuff comes out, we have an, an irresistible need to, to project it into the world. I call it light in the dark. Do you think everybody feels that need? Yeah, they would Whether submerge. Whether they're aware of it or not? No, they would submerge it. And that's where illness comes in. That's where mental illness comes in. That's where all the mental damage comes in. So many people now are mentally damaged. We're realizing it now. A lot of people are mentally damaged. That's that's why. That's why I see it every day. I see it every day. And um, you could help them. You know, you can say, you know, come along. I'll go. I'll, you know, I got to. I got to. I got to talk with twenty people. We're going to work. We're going to work together. I don't talk. I don't lecture to people. I just work with people. Come along. Uh, and if they're interested, if something inside good thing. You know, it's something inside that is recognizing itself as a need. Um, we can only go so far. You know, we can't herd people. Or we can't be dogmatic. We can't say you must be like this or think like this. But there's something, a lot of damage is going on and um, people will get ill if they don't listen to these this stuff inside. It's waiting for them. So I'm just reading a book which is that thick on Van Gogh, for instance, you know, a man with massive mental problems. And it's, it's you know, you, every art therapist should read that, 
you know, this guy came through himself, you know, came through himself, through battles in life, through battles with family, with money and all that sort of thing. And he found himself through himself over a long period. Now there's more help, okay, now there's more help. But I think uh, the therapy that he gave himself was inspired by a, a desire to, to, to find his self, to, to go beyond himself, to evolve, you know, and to light the dark. As I say, you suddenly feel that the world is, the world is going dark as it is now. And as an artist, it's your duty to lighten that dark and creativity, you know. Without creativity in the, in the world, it would go black overnight and spit off into the universe. Yeah. So, so that you've, you've opened the door really well here to, to the next topic I'd like to dive into, which is you know that we, we live in a society and a culture that has what are called the creative industries. So, so we've got advertising and marketing and we've got consumerism, you know, harnessing advertising and marketing um, and harnessing creativity. So using photography, using design, using film, all of these mediums have been harnessed to this consumer society that we live in. And a lot of the creativity in art schools and colleges is drawn into that industry, isn't it? So you could end up as um, a designer working on uh, advertising, you know, uh, projects for brands and so on. So you know that world, Michael. The question I've got is, what, what are we saying about this world from the perspective of creativity being something that is enhancing the human condition and can can creativity actually be used for bad ends if that makes sense so you know and is there a sort of morality or an ethical ground in creativity should artists be i don't know working for brands that are damaging the environment for instance you know um, should is there any, you know, morality that we have to think about? Is our creativity? I'm, I know I'm throwing lots of questions here, but it, it will final final one. Is there is our creativity being compromised when we lend it to, you know, marketing foods that harm, you know, harm people or children or, or, or so on? Okay, I just do think that these are two worlds apart. <clears throat> I really do. I think um, the, the people who eventually um, evolve into this uh, are able to enter this realm of creativity want to leave the other world behind. Um, and I mean, it sounds mystical and fairy-like, all that sort of thing. I happen to live in Italy in a, an area which is very much the old religion. They talk about fairies and all sorts of things, still inhabiting the mountains to be visited by them. And you think that's a load of toss. But, but it's only a metaphor for something which is much beyond ourselves. It's still there. And I think, um, you know, books we're reading about trees now and forests and the, and the enhancing uh, lifestyles, just being in a forest, uh, being in nature and being with animals gives us, that is another world. And I don't think the world of consumerism and objects and 
speed and rationality or any part of that world. I think uh, anybody who feels the pull of target creativity enters a different space completely. They want to heard us in in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of companies getting artists in to be artists in residence. It never worked. You know, they used to spit these guys out after a while. They thought they were nuts sort of thing, and it never worked. But I do think um, we're talking about maybe 50% of humanity in a Western society actually goes into this creative world, and I think it's more likely now that even more people will join it. What they will learn about creative thinking is that the world is a creative creature, and we are part of that creative life spin, if you will, of procreation and creativity and birth and death. And that's to live creatively, to be aware, to think of what is going on around you with a creative mind. You, you know, Krishnamurti says, you, you, you think you're looking at a tree? You know, your brain is saying, tree, let's move on. You know, I just swung past this tree outside. That's, that is a damn mis That's a miracle. That is a, a creative mind would see that quite differently to anybody else walking past. He's looking at a smartphone and measuring how many paces they've done, you know, in the last hour. So they've lost one and a half kilos. Are they? That's, that's not creativity. That's conditioning, you know, that's, that's trying to get fill your mind of life is something which is nonsense yeah and so you're and also so again you're pointing to awareness aren't you here because yes, yes. and again this ties in with with krishnamurti which, which was really he was trying to get out you know saying wake up to, to what's in front yeah, of you sure. be in the present yeah. become aware sure, it's about sure. perception for you Sure. Become aware. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure about becoming aware. I think suddenly it hits you one day that you are aware. As I did, coming, well, I, every single tree I look at, I, I, I realise that I have to somehow not be aware of it, but it's like, I don't know, open my senses to it. Open my senses to it. That's one of the things I teach. I don't like the word teach either, but... You know, we open up our it's, senses. It's interesting, isn't it, how we get into trouble with language. language so many yeah. times the word doesn't quite fit. Well, um, I do these sensorial days with um, uh, apart from the workshops where people go into a forest and they go through their senses like for an hour and a half, just, you know, digging through the soil, through leaves and tasting and smelling and touching and looking and hearing. And um, just to do that, not to force themselves to be aware, force themselves to touch, spell, feel, whatever. Just do it. And then eventually, when you, when you do that, you become like a cat, for instance. A cat has five senses going on at the same time. Dogs almost also, but less so. But a cat, a cat has all its senses going. And I think, you know, if you, don't try to be, to be like a cat because it's not as easy as that. But you get into a state where the world, the world just changes around you. And then somewhere inside you goes ding, and you want to bring something out, make it manifest in the world. And um, it's almost as if creativity, <laughs> there's a word again, um, obliges you to, to make manifest this, these feelings as the primitive people did with their animals and, you know, their magic and their stories. Um, 
all done in the dark, by the way, you know, in caves for whatever, for whatever reason, because it was mysterious. So they wanted to carry that mystery with them. But I think we almost feel obliged to to um, put this passion out into the world through us, because I think we are part of the cycle of creativity. I call it, she's a goddess to me, a goddess, if you will, and she needs us to make manifest the gifts that she, she, she provides us with. And I think, so the goddess isn't helping us sell Rice Krispies. <laughs> she might eat them. which is which is what you know where, where I what I was interested in pointing us towards no, is this in, this interface. And so you're sort of saying it's two worlds. That's what I mean. You say, and if if that world of selling Rice Krispies or advertising campaigns or all these things, if it's not creative, what is it? Well. If you could if you just uh, look at fashion, for instance, you know, I, I go shopping with my wife if I can, unless I can get out of it. And I, I, I see, you know, the years we've been together, I see that she's, she's very interested in the fashion of what is, you know. And, and if, if we were back six years and bought some stuff, she would, I don't know, if we did it now, we'd wish back, whisk back six years she would say I can't wear that you know and yet she's got stuff with 20 years old which is going back into fashion again cars for instance you know you look at an old car 20 years ago you think it was really new fantastic you know all that sort of stuff we're conditioned to actually see see to what to see that something is consumable we want it and it might look super duper fantastic. I went to this fantastic house, whatever the house was yesterday, the, the, the aristocratic house, I forget the name of it. It was like 100 years old. The kitchen was what it was 200 years ago. It was fantastic. And the, and the, and the, and the, 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 the watering cans were just beautiful. God, I wanted to nick one. They were so beautifully made. And they were I wonder crafted. what was in your bag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, but they, if you, you couldn't sell them now. You sort of swish plastic thing, you know. Like they, so, we're conditioned to 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 the, to 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 want to consume something which is new, because if you look back twenty years, we think, oh my God, you know, cars that I thought were super duper fantastic, twenty years old, they're like boring now, you know. So it's all about conditioning. We're all set into this conditioned world in fashion and commodities. So I think we've got to look beyond that. I, I really got to think in terms. Of, uh, I have to think in terms of value, how how life enhancing these things are, you know, how respective of the, uh, the environment, the planet, um, and it goes the same with food, in the way we you know we move around, you know, the where we travel, all that sort of thing. Think of a sustainability, not just be seduced by something which is super wizzy that we want. Because, you know, once we get what we want, we're bored with it immediately. And it just shows that it's just a form of conditioning. And they're very clever. The advertising world is very clever. Very clever. They give us subliminal images and thoughts which are not of us. And we soak them in and we believe them. So, you know, and I know a lot of people in that world <laughs> and they, they want to get out of it, you know. They know they can do it. They know they can do it, but they don't like it. They don't like it. And I think um, we've got to think beyond that. We have to think in a more grand global term in terms of the planet, in terms of 
what is going on in terms of what is important. And I think that's, as you said earlier, an inner, an inner, an inner voyage. And I think um, for that reason, we need buddies. We need creative buddies. We need to talk about these things. We need to share these things. We need not to waste our time being trivialized, you know, by entertainment. Um, I've had a wonderful weekend here in England. and I, I met some old friends and the conversations are about things that we have in common, which are important. And you can tell we get really absorbed, as we are now, into thinking about what is important. You've got to have more of these conversations. We've got to form groups, as I'm doing, uh, little hubs, I call them, um, where people can intergenerate ideas. I have webinars with these groups every two weeks and they all get on together, they talk together and they share things and they show images and they show things that they may, they show their poetry. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and we use new, new technology to do that. And we're glad that new technology exists to be able to do that. And there's no decry in the fact that we have cars and bikes and all that sort of thing, but we, we need to use them for a purpose which is sustainable and life-enhancing. And I think um, that is the difference between the commodity-driven world, the desire to consume, and the, diet to get the, guy, the diet, desire to give back. So we're given these things by the... Okay, by whoever. We'll call it the goddess of creativity. But it's our duty to give back to life because we're part of the cycle of creativity. We're not insignificant. Okay, we are part of the cycle of creativity. And that um, has to respect the world of animals, the world of plants, the world of the, the quality of the air we breathe, the food we eat. That is creative thinking, to be alive to the instance and to want to give back to life, to want to create and make things which are life-enhancing. So that I think is a better definition of creativity to me. To have a sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say that's a wonderful place for us to close there. All right, then. Um, <laughs> because, well, and and I, I'm I'm thinking that for people in the creative industries who are listening to this, mm. they might feel some uh, disappointment that you haven't built a bridge between those two worlds um, because I I think a lot of people enter into um, the creative industries because they want they, they believe that they can be creative there but when they get there they find themselves compromised really by by having to do use their creativity or use their ability to be good with color or good with form and shape um, or, or to have interesting ideas that they they feel compromised by that. And what would you offer those people who are, are doing those kinds of jobs that feel that the industry that they're in, you know, it's called a creative industry, but has somehow lost its... Look, look, I meet them all the time. I know CEOs of multi-million pound companies who travel around the world and exhaust each other. And I know they're in, in, intrinsically unhappy. I say, jump, get out of it. What are you doing? You know, oh, I can't do that sort of thing. When I when I go, I got out of the art college, you know, really early. How can you do that? I, I just did it. You know, life is more important than being part of a an institution. But there are bridges everywhere. Okay, if you 
if you were asking for the bridge, you're not you're not being aware of your life around. But um, what you are saying, I mean, what I I mean, just to be clear, but you are sort of not offering a compromise here. You're not saying, look, you can work for a big, you know, multinational advertising agency helping their clients sell cars, or or sell biscuits, or sell washing up powder, or something. Uh, and and it's okay. You can be a fulfilled creative person in that world. You're sort of saying, look, you know, you you, you can't be. I'm the two are not compatible. Sure. Is that? I mean, it's fair. I'm not saying you shouldn't say that. I'm just let you know. But that that is, is that your position? Yeah, I'm afraid yeah. it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm afraid it is. Because I, without exception, I would say the people I know and met have. Almost like they're living through a punishment sort of thing, a type of imprisonment, psychological, emotional, particularly emotional, not being able to share the humanity. I know there are companies now that are taking shifts towards that. I have a friend who's got a job working for, I won't say which organization, but to do with animals, working in this beautiful state. She started this job last month. and She's been told she can work at home every day. She can work in the office every day. She has a team of people working with her. They can do one day here, one day there, anytime you want to call it, because we know you're working with us. And she said it's wonderful. She's worked as a marketing executive for 20 years with people that you know she could really communicate with. And these people are kind. They walk in the grounds and there are animals there and they talk to talk about the things that they're doing. It's a, it's a big, big world organization. And the way they're treating each other and the humanity towards animals and the planet, um, you know, so everybody can't work for that sort of organization, practically, of course. But she has found something which is akin to the things that maybe I've been teaching. She's, uh, I'm a mentor for her, have been for a while. And up comes this job, which she's been yearning for all of her life, you know. And it wasn't a bridge that suddenly it was suddenly appeared by magic in front of her. It was something that she awoke to, you know, she became awake of to in her, her life. And what came when the bridge invented itself, when she really woke up to what was important for her, and it appeared. She said, Michael, I don't believe it. You know, I, how did it happen? I said, well, of course it happened. Because you brought yourself to the state through your creativity. She's a great painter now as well, by the way. Um, she has exhibitions and so forth. You brought yourself to this point in your life through this inner voice you've had. And we've done it together. I know that. But this is why the bridge has arrived, okay? This is where it's come from. You know, don't be surprised, really. This is what real life is about. So, you know, that, that's the only answer I can give. You work on yourself, you work through yourself, and these things arrive for you. If you don't work on yourself, if you, if you want to live this banal life of consumerism and, and rote living, people telling you what to think, buy or whatever, you, this bridge is not going to arrive. But if you take the journey within yourself, look at all the wonderful things that the planet has to offer, which which are reflected in yourself and how you grow. This the, the bridge will arrive, and who knows what it might be, you know, but it'll be something which is positive, self-sustaining, which has respect for the planet, animals, trees, whatever, you know, the the, the air we breathe. So these are 
the values that human beings are searching for right now. And you know that's true. Everybody knows that's true. So it's an inner voyage reflected by an outer voyage. And the two come together and the bridge pops up. I know that sounds a bit crazy, but I've experienced it. And I know it's true. Right, Michael. Well, look, thank you, thank you very much. Um, for those of you listening, um, I hope you find your bridge. And for those of you interested to follow Michael, uh, we will put and below you'll find actually the show notes and links to to Michael and the workshops that he runs in Italy. Mm-hmm. So uh, please uh, get in touch with him. I'm sure you'll be glad to to hear from anyone. Can I say thank you? Oh, please thank do. You, thank you very much. <laughs> no, no, you've opened up. Your questions are very, as I expect, very, very to the point. And you sent me through a little voyage in my life too, which I tend to forget sometimes. And you brought me to conclusions that I, by speaking, I actually listen to myself. Like, Did I do that? But it's what I do. And I, I, and I really appreciate the way you uh, um, sensitively um, follow the train of the conversation and pick up the points which are really quite uh, acutely observed. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, um, Michael. Thank right. you. Go and have a nice cup of coffee now. Is he some lunch <laughs> in the garden. Oh, under the tree. Under the tree. Under the tree. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you make a living by being creative and talented or manage and coach those who do, then join our community of interest to see and hear more from like-minded people and meet some friends you might not yet know. The ICD supports the development of more caring, relevant and effective coaching and mentoring for everyone who works in the creative industries. To stay part of the conversation, you can visit us online at our LinkedIn group and Facebook page or listen to more episodes from the Six Before Breakfast podcast.